Welcome to the Zero Waste Code podcast, brought to you by Green Code. We are a tech startup based down in Cornwall, and it is our mission to reduce food waste in the hospitality and food service sector. In today's episode, we speak to founder of Tried and Supplied, Dominie Hogg, about the Better Hospitality Conference, a virtual talk with great minds from the food industry. Next, we hear from Ollie Hunter, chef and author of Join the Greener Revolution, a book about how you can get on board with sustainable living. Finally, we speak to Drew Pescud, co-founder of PackShare, a waste packaging distribution company that connects consumers with their local businesses. First up, here's Dominy Hogg from Tried and Supplied. I'd like to introduce Dominy. Please introduce yourself and also tell us more about the upcoming conference called Better Hospitality. Thank you, Dominy. Thanks, Colin. Um, I, I'm Dominy. Um, I'm the founder of Tried and Supplied, uh, which is um, a better ecosystem for the for the food and drink in- industry. Um, we're working on um, making your supply chain more efficient and eco-friendly um, through so, uh, better sourcing, procurement and, and purchasing. So the Better Hospitality Conference is really, um, it's, it's coming at a time when hospitality is just reopening um, and they have the opportunity to do things a little differently um, and, and better. Um, so um, it's it's really uh, aimed at helping business owners and decision makers to, um, uh, to to get the inspiration and the ideas for how to reopen better. Thank you, Domini. Um, may I ask you to tell us a little bit about the agenda for the conference as well, please? Thank you. Yes, absolutely. Um, we have a fantastic lineup. Um, I'm really excited about it. Many of um, the people that I um, admire the most within the industry will be speaking at it. Um, some incredible chefs like Asma Khan, um, Chantelle Nicholson, um, thought leaders like Paul Pavley, um, Simon Stenning and, and Katie Moses um, will, will, will be covering um, hospitality trends post-pandemic. Um, and um, we've got some incredible... Uh, incredibly supportive um, industry associations and, and charities involved in um, the work that they do. So um, the uh, Oxford Real Farming Conference um, and um, Springboard, um, the Springboard Charity uh, Soil Association um, for their Food for Life uh, scheme um, and uh, the Sustainable Restaurant Association, um, Sustain. Um, we really have got uh, uh, some excellent partners um, and across all of those, um, we will be covering four key themes. Um, so those are sustainability, um, resilience, people and nutrition. Um, the four key themes that we think are going to be most useful to businesses reopening um, post-pandemic. Thanks, Dominique. Um, may I also ask you what inspired you to try to create this conference as well? Thank you. Yeah, so uh, it was in the beginning of this year in January when I went to the Oxford Real Farming Conference. Um, and um, if you haven't been, um, I, I thoroughly recommend going. Um, it, it was obviously virtual this year. Normally it's held in Oxford, as, as you might imagine. Um, and um, even if you're not a farmer, it is just the most incredibly inspiring conference to go to. There are so many different um, uh, sessions um, that um, 
are both practical for farmers, but also um, more kind of philosophical about uh, the way we think about food and, and um, how we need to change um, uh, society in order to facilitate um, sustainable farming. So it's, it's really a conference um, designed for the farming industry to share knowledge um, and, um, and particularly on how to farm more sustainably and better. And I left that conference thinking, well, you know, I've, I just feel so um, enthused and excited and inspired by that. Um, and then I started thinking, well, you know, actually the hospitality industry needs something similar. Um, uh, you know, we, we, we're all gearing up again um, to, to reopen um, after hopefully, um, and hopefully the last, last time will be, uh, we won't have to close again. Um, and um, we just need that, that kind of enthusiasm and energy and inspiration to, to get us going and, and, and reset because um, it's very rare that you um, kind of are forced to have a business uh, disruption like we've had. Um, so it's um, a, a really excellent opportunity to, um, to use that time to reset and, and to explore doing things differently um, on, on reopening. So that was really where it came from. And I have to say that the Oxford Real Farming Conference, um, their support in running this has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, they've, you know, all of what they've learned from, from running a much bigger conference. I think they had 5,000 people uh, worldwide attend their conference in January. Um, and um, everything they've learned from, from organizing a conference of that scale has, has been shared um, with me and, and um, they've been supporting on the technology and the organizational front as well. So um, a massive thank you to them. Thank you, Domini. Um, so basically the conference is split into discrete um, sessions. Can you tell us a little bit about which of those sessions you are excited about? Well, I have to say, obviously, to start with, I'm excited about all of them. Um, I think they're all going to be amazing. Um, and um, I think there's a huge variety, um, lots of lots of different perspectives. I've, um, I've really tried to make sure that we've been covering the industry as a whole. Um, I think probably I'd touch on a few that are a little bit more unusual that people might not expect um, because um, they're, the, they're the ones that I'm probably most intrigued by uh, the outcomes of. Um, so uh, one of them is about experiential dining and um, how that can benefit not only um, your, your customers and their experience of, of um, what you offer, but also you and your team. And that comes from an, a conversation that I had with um, a restaurateur, uh, Matthew Pennington, um, who, who runs the Epicurean near Bristol and how he has um, re reorganized um, the, the structure of the restaurant so that it, it becomes like a ticketed experience, which means that he has better control over um, uh, achieving a better work-life balance for his team um, and, and ensuring that they all um, are are able to um, get at least a living living wage um, and um, not reliant on service charge and, um, uh, and and things like that. So the service charge becomes all incorporated into the ticket, um, and um, it's it, that's one aspect of it. But um, you know, there's um, we've also got um, 
Yosef Yosef um, on that um, on that uh, uh, session as well, and uh, he he's been experimenting with some fascinating things around um, kind of how you can um, uh, help blind people explore visual things like the universe through food, um, and um, you know the, the powers that um, uh, that food has um, from a transformational perspective and an educational or, or an, what he describes as edutainment you know it's fun it's not just educational um, uh, there's so much that that food can do beyond just the eating um, and, and Jenny McNeil from uh, Gingerline in that session she will um, she's talking um, about um, the events that the uh, experiential events that they do and um, uh, you know, we, one of the things that um, we want to address is kind of that ability to um, for for food to kind of transform um, and, and not just transform, but transport people to a different place. Um, and how much, given our lack of travel recently and, and likelihood of, of um, kind of staycations this year, um, you know, using food as a way of, you know, traveling further and, and, and kind of almost getting getting into a, a, a magical world of food is, is something that I think will, that will be a really interesting session. Um, and then um, kind of maybe one other that I would, I would pick out, um, it is around um, designing multi, multi-purpose restaurant spaces um, for additional revenue streams. And so that's kind of completely on the, on, on the uh, opposite end of the spectrum, I guess. It's much more um, about, um, you know, the, the, the business aspects of how do you create more resilient restaurants? Um, and um, w- through that session, we're going to be looking at the optimum use of time and space um, because it's just as important, you know, when you use the space and what you're using it for as um, kind of how the space is designed. You know, does it, does it enable you to run meal kits as well as um, have dine-in re- uh, restaurant guests um, does it does it enable you to maybe have um, you know a, a hatch for uh, delivery drivers to pick up, or does it um, enable you to you know run run cooking classes on Mondays when you otherwise would be would be quiet? Um, so that one will be um, I think a really interesting session uh, with an interior architect David Chinery um, and a restaurateur James Bates um, and uh, yeah I'm really looking forward to, to hearing you know the outcome of that as well so those are probably the two that I would really pick out as, as being a bit more unusual. Thanks Dominique as well. Um, what do you hope people will take away from attending the conference as well? Um, well what I hope they will take away is um, I guess partly a sense of community um, that you know there's a whole load of people um, in the industry all driving towards doing things better um, and um, that they're part of that. And I think, you know, the hospitality industry has, has had to be very brave this year and will have to continue being quite brave over the next few months, I imagine. Um, and um, so it's really helpful to feel that sense of community. Um, so I think that's one thing, but I also um, I hope obviously from the sessions that they take away um, practical, um, advice that they can implement within their business um but also you know that energy and enthusiasm and inspiration that gives them the momentum to actually go for it um so yeah a a mix of things i think thank you dominique 
Also, I saw in the in the literature that you've set up a community platform. What do you hope to do with that uh, after the conference concludes? Yeah, so we've we've launched the food web uh, community uh, as as part of um, a, a means of networking throughout the conference. Um, so uh, we really want to encourage engagement and um, for people to to meet each other um, and, and network. And there'll be plenty of networking opportunity uh, throughout the conference, um, as well as a, a cocktail shake along at the end, which I think should be a, a, a good fun. Um, but uh, beyond the conference, um, what we uh, what we see that the food web becoming is a um, really a platform for thought leaders within the the hospitality um, industry, um, and one which is is a is a collaborative space um, where you know people can um, contribute to what each other are doing and support each other, um, and and find opportunities where they can actually benefit from working together. Um, so that's something that um, I, I would love to see, um, you know, continue beyond the conference itself. Thank you, Dominic. And finally, can you tell our listeners how they can join the conference and come along with you? Yes, absolutely. So um, you just need to go to tridentsupply.com forward slash better hyphen hospitality hyphen conference. Um, it's also, if you go to our website, tridentsupply.com and just click on conference, you'll get there too. Um, and um, uh, it's just a question of registering um, from there, uh, which will also give you free access, um, uh, free membership to the food web community in the long term as well. So that's, that's kind of part of um, joining the conferences. You'll, you'll get that as well. Thanks, Dominic. Uh, thank you for joining me. And I'd just like to say I, I would heartily want to recommend uh, going to that conference because there are some really key figures who will be talking about uh, different aspects of resilience and sustainability as well. So please, if you can go along, please try to attend. Thank you, Dominique, and wish you well. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Next, here's Ollie Hunter talking about his book, Join the Greener Revolution. This morning, I have the pleasure of interviewing Ollie Hunter, who's written a new book called Join the Greener Revolution. And I'd like for him to briefly introduce himself and also what inspired you, Ollie, to write Join the Greener Revolution. Hi, thank you very much for asking me on, on this podcast. Um, so, yeah, my name is Ollie Hunter. Uh, my wife and I took over the wheat sheaf in Chilton Folia about five and a half years ago and turn what was a very rundown um, pub into now what is the most sustainable business in the UK, um, a sort of thriving, modern thinking pub that's completely focused around sustainability and community and all things flavoursome. Um, I wrote a, the first book, uh, which was published last February, called 30 Easy Ways to Join the Food Revolution. And then uh, this book, which is about Join the Greener Revolution, which is Living Sustainably, was more of a continuation of the first book. And I think once the, the whole thing with sustainability is once you have that revolution or revelation in your own head or in your own mind of how to think differently, then you just see every part of your life in a, in a different way and want to sort of make everything you do sustainable, 
so you're part of that bigger picture uh, for a better, more joyful world, really. Thank you. Thanks, Ollie. That's a really good answer. Thank you. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the three main principles you identified in the book and why they're the most important three as well? Cool. So I've highlighted three main principles in both books. And for me, they're uh, zero waste, organic and seasonal, and 50% within 30 miles. And I'll just go into each one uh, in, in, in their own time. So zero waste is absolutely, you know, even David Asper talks about just don't waste. I see the whole world as, as energy transfer and we're constantly constantly transferring energy from one place to the next. So in, in nature, there is no waste. Everything is a byproduct and it is the most, in a way, efficient system because it is constantly turning other things' wastes into things for nature. We lost that circular feeling to, us, to our society and the way we live and the way we live in harmony with nature. So for me, and especially in food, zero waste is so important because I really want to buy better ingredients. I want to buy organic and eat organic and, uh, and local food. And sometimes they can be more expensive. So in order to counterbalance that expense, I have to use the whole vegetable, the whole meat, uh, the whole fish, whatever I'm using uh, to have zero waste in order to afford the organic. I can do this because I'm buying, there's a sort of synergy between the two. Because I'm buying organic and local and seasonal, it has more flavor. And if it has more flavor, I don't need to do as much to it to create the, the end product that I need. So I'm also saving money by buying less. I buy better and do less with it. So I'm probably saving in the business, for example, staffing or energy costs. Um, and then the final thing is I create this sort of 30 food movement, 30 miles. I genuinely believe that if we all look at ourselves as a sort of a, a dot, in a painting, let's say, let's say impressionism, all that dot in an impressionist painting, we're all part of that bigger picture. And if you relate that back to a tree in that sense, the mycelium that we know now have such an important role in that whole environment and atmosphere and, and everything that a tree does. But it's so small in that, in that grand scale of what a tree does. Humans, we see trees. But what's really going on is millions and millions of little things that are making that tree happen. And each and each individual human being and atom in this planet has the power to make the world more sustainable and more joyful. So for me, that 30 miles is really just honing in on who you are, where you're living and what difference you can make in those 30 miles. So what is the issue that you're trying to address with your book as well then? Yeah, so... I mean, so for, for, for 10, 20, 30 years, you, you know, the, the, the conversation around this has been quite scary. And there's lots of facts and figures thrown around about what's happening. And it's quite hard for us on our day-to-day -day lives to sort of see the effects or the negative effects. So we know there are bad things happening on the planet. We know that plastic is bad. We know CO2 emissions increasing is bad. Uh, we know toxins and chemicals, they're all bad for us. So... It's about recognizing that. But as I said in the book, I really want to highlight that it is not, we shouldn't individually burden ourselves with the fault of it. We should more recognize maybe the problems, but it's a positive, joyful movement forward rather than an anti-movement. So for me, this is all about sustainability equals flavor. Sustainability equals more uh, a slower, more joyful life. It increases my the way I enjoy living it decreases the money I spend on a day-to-day -day basis as well as in food so the issue although is 
to recognize the faults and the observations of what we've done in the past. It's more about transferring that into a positive energy to make our, our lives more joyful. Thank you. And also, um, obviously, you're a chef and I, I did expect the book to be about eating sustainably, but you go further than that. And is there a reason you chose to write about being sustainable in so many ways? And do you practice each tip yourself? Uh, it's a good question. And I should be completely absolutely honest in this in this sense. I mean, you know, just to live life can sometimes be difficult because, you know, you've got to get on with the day to day living of it. So to constantly think of all these different decisions I've got to make each day is hard. The important thing is to recognize that we do need to make decisions. And actually, once you change, as I was talking about earlier, that revolution in the head and that revelation, and once you actually get into a habit of making good decisions, making those decisions becomes easier and easier. So within a month, two months, six months, a year of making those decisions, decisions then it's not, a, it's not a chore anymore. It becomes easier. And in that sense, the reason why I just wanted to speak more about living sustainably is because we've been running the pub for five years, it's not just about food and drink. It is about a business and it is about people. And when you run a business, uh, it all comes down to that sort of, in a way, that bottom line. And what we found with the pub was, again, that whole transfer to living and running the pub sustainably means that I'm increasing my profits. I'm giving my staff a better way of life and I'm creating a more unique product. I'll just give you a quick example. We've, a quick example. We've got uh, the, an in-house still and sparkling system at the pub for our water. And what that did was, was well, initially it was just to sort of reduce carbon emissions and uh, glass packaging. So that was sort of good for the planet. So that was all tick. Two other side effects came alongside that. One was that it was good for my staff because they were carrying less bottles up and down from the cellar every day. And they were having to, um, you know, work harder, as it were, for, for their buck. Um, so they were happier. And then on a third point, it was pleasure. And what we were doing with our now sparkling systems, we create our own soft drinks and mocktails. So we're creating a unique product that where we use local ingredients, let's say rhubarb uh, in the season now to create a rhubarb cordial. And we make a rhubarb soft drink. So we've now got a unique product. So this system that we've changed for the planet actually affects us as people. What, so that system that you're talking about, is it, um, is it water that's, is it, that's just got carbonized or something like that? Yeah, exactly. It is, it is quite simply just it's tap water um, that's being filtered uh, through the system. And then you've got a filtered water and you've got a carbonated water. It's like a soda stream, really. Um, that's, but obviously cheaper, that's far cheaper than just buying the water off the shelf. So it's not, well, there is a, there is a cost and um, with all things, I, I, when I talk about business, there's a capital change and there's a systematic change. So for this was a sort of capital change, but in the long run, it will be cheaper. And as long as we use it proactively, like doing the cocktails and the mocktails and the soft drinks, then yeah, it, it is a lot cheaper in the long run. What does it actually look, look like as well then? <laughs> in some large receptacle or something? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, um, a great big metal uh, bit of equipment underneath the bar. Anyway, it's only about 50 centimetres by 30 centimetres and 50 centimetres tall, for example. Um, makes no noise. It's just a really great system. And obviously, it's made all our staff happy because they've got sparkling, sparkling water on tap. So they can have, you know, getting the chefs all sort of perked up for service. You know, everyone loves a bit of sparkling water for that. <laughs> yeah, thank you for that as well. I, I, ne I never knew of, of that. So thank you. Uh, also in your book, when I saw number 27, you talk about 
technology can save the world. Could you elaborate on what technology you found to be particularly of use and, and inspiring as well? Yeah, so I, mean, I, I remember this um, talk. It was a book actually by Ken Robinson, who uh, he's one of the leading sort of professors in creativity and education. And he said this thing once, and he said that Mozart, no amount of technology can improve the way Mozart plays his music. Music, his music was only, he could only play his music as the best that anyone else could ever play in the world. And no amount of technology can improve that. So there's one side of that argument where you're going, you know what, just living in harmony with nature can't beat all the things we do with technology. But there is so much advancing technology at the moment, it's going so quickly through demand that it is making our lives easier. One obvious one that you know I know lots of people use is an app called Olio, which is a uh, an, an app where you can sort of share maybe food that you don't want, and so you can share it with your neighbours to avoid food waste. Again, it's one of those fantastic bits of technology that we should celebrate because it connects people in that sort of mycelium way that I was talking about earlier within the tree. Uh, but it's also doing a function by taking that waste product, or let's call it a byproduct, to someone else. Um, other things off the top of my head, I mean, um, that sort of uh, material called tensile, which is now a plant-based uh, clothing material that we use. So we're moving away from um, crops or, or animal products into trees. And obviously tree, more tree growth is great for carbon sequestration and oxygen production. Um, even in, in packaging, I mean, I get, um, uh, I use a Lush shampoo and they come in the packaging with little monkey, monkey nuts, um, you know, packaging, but they're not made of plastic, they're made of starch, uh, which are totally biodegradable and compostable. So I think the technology is there both on a scientific level and also, um, uh, you know, on, on the sort of the internet level, but also in the natural level to help us to help us improve the way we live our lives. Um, and I think many companies are sort of taking that burden upon themselves to make those changes for us as, as consumers. Now, consumers is an interesting word because I actually want to sort of change that word to a transferer because I don't think that we are consumers of energy. I think we are transferers of energy. Like I was talking earlier, we don't, our role isn't just to consume and waste. Our role is to transfer. And part of that circular economy and circular energy is to transfer into something good. So I sort of think we should be called transferers now rather than consumers. Thank you for that as well. Do you, do you think your staff, that um, was it hard to get your staff on board with all of these ideas and concepts as well? Uh, yeah, they always tease me because my, my three top words are always, you know, organic, local and sustainable. Um, and they, at the end of it, I think it's got to be led by, you know, it's got to be led by people who care and we've all got to care really at the end of it. Um, as long as the food and the product is good and the customers aren't complaining, then, and they get, and they understand why we're doing it, then it makes total sense. If, for example, I was doing it and the food didn't taste any good and we were getting complaints, then they would probably all leave. There's no point working there. For me, I just see everything that we're doing with sustainability is all about flavor. It's all about making our lives easier, uh, cheaper, better, more enjoyable, and I think hopefully, and we make that, I mean, hopefully we make their lives um, better um, and that we have a better work-life relationship to go alongside that. In your book, obviously, you've got so many uh, different ideas that are coming out of that book. 
what what is your actual favorite tip from the book as well uh it's a really difficult question to hone in on all those different tips i think there's a chapter in there which and i'm just going to talk about it briefly but it genuinely sort of has changed my life it's one of those moments where you go there's a pre and a post moment and it's called transcendental meditation and it's a form of meditation that uh i was i was recommended to do by lots of friends previously um and I was sort of, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. But when it did happen, it has just changed my life. And it's a really simple, non-religious technique. It's a, um, you get given a mantra that no one else knows. Uh, it's completely unique to you. And you just repeat this mantra and you transcend down to this unified field, which is you go through the, in the physics terms from um, uh, alpha waves down to theta and beta uh, and it's part of that unified field and it's just, and you do it twice a day for 20 minutes and it's completely changed my life really can you tell us how it's changed your life though in what way it's in the same way f um, about you know slow food and slow life it's made my life it's made my head and uh the way i make decisions clearer and more powerful uh i'm less stressed i'm more in control i see things i guess clearer i I don't worry as much. Uh, I guess I'm less angry, and um, yeah, it just—it's I think it has both a metaphysical and a physical uh, difference in the way I live my life. Thank you. Um, uh, from the book, uh, obviously, we've got so many tips on sustain being sustainable. What would be your top five uh, best tips for new people to try and use? Cool. So, um, number one, changed my life. Uh, and there's a funny story to go alongside that, but I now use a shampoo bar uh, from Lush. Um, Lauren, my wife, uh, well, I, I, in this whole search of sustainability, I was obviously a very curious person to try and experiment as much as possible. And for about a week and a half, I tried experimenting with vinegar and bicarb in my hair to the extent that Lauren, my wife, was so angry and upset and by the smell of my hair at bed that she told me to get, get out and go have a shower, um, which I did and had to find another solution. So anyway, this, this shampoo bar is just, it, it's made a big difference because I enjoy, I don't know why, but the, the quality of the ingredients just means I enjoy shampooing my hair so much more. And I don't have plastic in the bathroom anymore. And um, it actually lasts longer than normal shampoo. So it is, again, cheap in the long run. What, what is that? What's the brand called? Uh, Lush. Lush. And it's, it's a Lush. shampoo bar. It's a shampoo bar, um, cruelty-free, animal-free, um, made of vegan ingredients, and all their packaging is biodegradable and compostable. So you, you know, they're not, you know, they don't use organic ingredients, but I completely believe in what they do. Um, so there's that. Um, I've gone away from toothpaste to toothpaste pills, which I can now buy in glass containers. So that's all going to recycle. You the brand for that as well. <laughs> uh, I don't have the brand for that, actually. I never look at the brand. I sort of just um, pop it in my mouth and brush my teeth. Toothpaste pills, uh, what, you can tablets. get them anywhere online, can you? Yeah, I'm sure, exactly. If you type in toothpaste tablets, toothpaste pills online, then, then something will come up. Never heard of that. Um, <laughs> Again, for all those who are sort of conscious about fluoride, then looking for fluoride and good and just making sure that the ingredients they, they use are also good. Um, on the food side, I just, if you want to make one big difference on the food, 
it's to buy local organic vegetables. No matter what you do in every, every part of the food world, for me, I just think that whole synergy between when you buy good vegetables, your whole food and your whole dish just completely changes in flavor. It completely uplifts and, and is totally delicious. And at the same time, you're also just making a big difference within your own 30 miles to improve the landscape and to improve the environment. Um, another tip I like is upcycling. So for me, it's not necessarily, uh, you're not defined by what we consume, but what we create. Uh, part of this new movement is this new creative moral renaissance, I sort of coin it, um, about creating things in a very ethical, conscious way. So it could be, I mean, the latest one I did, I've got an old uh, terracotta uh, cake mold, which I've sort of turned into a flower pot uh, for the time being with some, you know, bulbs in they look pretty right now or some herbs in the summer um and then really good storage especially in the food you know if you've got great storage facilities just bulk buying grains pulses beans um and stocking up on stuff like that will just again change your diet and change your larder okay brilliant um obviously uh you've got food recipes as well in the book and they look really interesting uh, what's the ethos behind the different food recipes and what are your two favorites from that book? So, yeah, so I'll go back to those sort of three main principles and that's zero waste, organic and seasonal and within my 30 miles. Um, for me, sustainability equals flavor. Uh, if it's local, it is fresh. And if it's fresh, it has more energy. If it has more energy, it has more flavor. So those things are really super important to me. Um, doing less with more again is that sort of revelation in the head where you're suddenly buying better and you don't have to do as much to it to achieve maximum flavor uh, two things sort of that really strike a chord for me there is um, one's a choc uh, the chickpea scotch eggs um, so the chickpea scotch eggs they're made with English chickpeas there's a great company called Hodmy Dodds who are sort of the pioneers of the uh, pulse and grain uh, grains in England and they make their English chickpeas uh, and I buy it in a tin. Uh, sometimes I use dried, but for this recipe, I buy it in a tin. Uh, and so the chickpeas go in to make a scotch egg and I use certain herbs and spices to make it taste in that sort of meaty umami flavoring. But then the most important thing is that I use the byproduct, the waste product, which is the aquafaba from the tin of chickpeas to make an aioli, which is my source for the chickpeas. So it's a great example of just how one tin can, can basically save two egg yolks or two eggs. And if you imagine everyone in the world saving two eggs, that's millions and millions of eggs that we're saving suddenly and using um, vegetables that are fixing nitrogen and part of a great crop rotation in England. I mean, that is suddenly just a great change in the way we live our life. Um, and then another recipe is really super simple, sweet corn cob ice cream. So once I've sort of roasted the sweet corn and I've grated, I've taken the kernels off for another dish, I then use that sort of waste cob and I simmer that in my milk and cream to flavor the milk and cream. And then using the traditional recipe, just sort of eggs and sugar, making an ice cream. And when we gave it to our customers, they, we sort of asked them, you know, what do you think it tastes like? And they said vanilla, creme brulee, custard. And it was amazing. We had created a, an equivalent to vanilla, but using a byproduct that was grown within our 30 miles. So again, for me, it was a really simple way of sort of saying, well, what can we create around us that we don't need to import vanilla, for example? 
Thank you. That's, that's amazing as well. I like that one. <laughs> um, I'd say finally, where can uh, listeners find out more and purchase your book? Uh, where can they go to purchase it? And, and also, do you have a website uh, which they can find out more as well about this? Yeah, so to buy the book is really easy. Obviously, the best way is to ask your local bookstore to, to purchase it for you and to stock it in the local bookstore. Otherwise, it's, all, it's always online. Um, bookshop.org, which um, supports local bookshops, are very good. Uh, it is also in Waterstones and other retailers and brands are available. Um, and then the, the best way to sort of follow what we're doing is www.30food.co.uk. That's 30food.co.uk. So 30 Food's all about my mission, about 30 miles and the three main principles that I was talking about earlier. And is 30, uh, three zero, not the word? Yeah. It is indeed, yeah, three zero. So it's three zero food.co.uk. It is, thank you. Okay, all right, thank you, Ollie. Um, love your book, and also uh, there are so many recipes in there as well. So it's it's a really good read. There's so many things to learn, and also you you seem to have found a wealth of knowledge that's uh, that's going to inspire other people to try and change their lives as well. So I do highly recommend other people to, to buy the book. And just one last thing, is it, is it possible to buy a digital copy if you didn't want to have a hard copy? Yes, eBooks are available. Okay, okay, that's it then. So thank you, Ollie. Uh, what a great book as well, a great read. So I highly recommend it. Thank you, Ollie, for being on our podcast. Thank you. Pleasure, thank you very much. Finally, here's Rue Pescud, co-founder of PackShare. So, Rue, um, first off, do you want to just tell us a bit about the story behind PackShare and where the idea came from? Yeah, so um, PackShare is a website that I run with my partner, Louisa. Um, and really the idea, um, the idea was dreamed up by her. Um, she used to work in... Uh, Willow and Stone that's a shop in town in Falmouth um, and she was particularly doing lots of packing down there um, and she she just thought like she just one day it was just like how do we get this packaging back from our customers um, and I think that after a few sort of discussions between the two of us and and just thinking that through we realized that actually you don't need to get that packaging back because um, the the sort of wonderful thing about mail order packaging is that it's at, at all times it's it's coming from different places and mm. going to different places and so wherever it ends up it's going to be sent there's going to be somebody really near there who can reuse it for something and so um, uh, like when when Lou was working down at Willow and Stone they were already like they'd already reuse all of their packaging that their deliveries came in. Mm. And then over that sort of year, I guess, um, Lou started taking all of our packaging down to Willow and Stone because she knew that she could reuse it. And then before long, sort of all of the staff in Willow and Stone were bringing all of their waste packaging in because, <laughs> because they just, they, they knew that it was useful for Willow and Stone because, you know, you're constantly packaging, um 
things that are different shapes and and they just all need to be they all need to be sort of individually if i say individually wrapped like i just need they all need a sort of a each one is a specific puzzle to put together mm-hmm. um and so i think just realizing that that wasn't a problem that was unique to will own stone and realizing that just the, the waste mail order is is everywhere <laughs> you know every, there's so many businesses and it's and it's just the sort of thing that's um that's grown and grown with ebay and amazon and you know just general online shopping that um they yeah that's sort of after a bit of a bit of talking and a bit of planning we worked out that that pack share could be a sort of a good way to solve that mm. um yeah, in some sense and, there, it's quite similar to green code in a way, because it's about finding different uh, ways of of measuring and then redistributing waste. So, um, yeah, I mean, that's such a, such a fabulous way of solving that problem. And, and it's just amazing. And, and tell me, how do you actually help the packaging find a new home? So um, all in essence, like all PackShare is, is um, an online database of um, local businesses all around the UK who um, who you can search by what packaging they can use. So, um, so businesses sign up um, and they put in just general information about the business. So, so where they are, um, a little bit of a blurb and an image um, and contact details. And then um, they say like they they have control over their profile then to say like we need uh, or we can reuse uh, bubble wrap we can reuse cardboard boxes we can reuse you know whatever anything that is mail order packaging um, and then the the users the the donors or the citizens as as <laughs> we've been talking about them recently is um, like go to packshare.org and and they can search by uh, their postcode and what packaging they have to get rid of. So say you get um, say you get something through the post that is in a cardboard box wrapped in bubble wrap. Um, the second you unwrap that, the bubble wrap and the cardboard box are waste. So you can search on Packshare by bubble wrap and your postcode and it'll tell you the closest business to you who's signed up to mm. receive bubble wrap. Um, and, and that is the sort of, um, that, that's the sort of, that's, that's it for PackShare. We say, these are the businesses that can reuse this. And then the onus is on the individuals to take it down to the businesses. So it's actually um, kind of encouraging more of a community project as well, which is just wonderful. A hundred percent. And and actually it's, that's something that I'm, I'm really keen about. Like the, the sort of the tagline that I've got stuck with is like, it's good for small businesses. It's good for the environment and it's good for local communities because mm-hmm. I think I love the idea that um, in this world where, um, where shopping is going increasingly online, um, which is generating all of this packaging waste, mm-hmm. um, we're actually like, we're, PackShare is like helping people 
sorry, it's creating the packaging waste, but it's also like stopping people from going into their local towns and it's killing local businesses. And so PackShare sort of helps take that packaging and say, actually, we can give this back to our local community and save our local businesses money, make mm-hmm. them more competitive. And then the, I think it just sort of really improves that idea of um, you're still going into places and interacting with your local businesses and you're seeing their faces. And, and also like PackShare has, I mean, it certainly helped me find out more about businesses in my local area. And I think it's, it's small businesses that make towns and it's like small businesses that make towns and areas. So like it gives them their character and makes them so unique. Um, yeah, totally. And so, and so, yeah, I, I, the community aspect of it is definitely a, it's definitely like a big, a big sort of thing to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of touched there on, on how the current climate, climate of things so so with the pandemic and everything has caused a lot more people to go online shopping um and has produced more packaging and and what tell me a bit more about why surplus packaging is such a problem especially at the moment it's it's something i think one of its main problems is that for i think packaging is always like something that isn't the first thing that you think about. And so one of the issues with single use plastic, I think is that for so long, things have just been wrapped in plastic and it's it's almost like invisible to the, the process of buying things. You know, mm-hmm. you, wanna, you wanna buy a lettuce, you buy it and then you take this wrapper off and you throw it away. I think um, mail order packaging is, it's in some ways the same as that, that it, the second it gets into your house, that mail order packaging is, is just no longer useful. Um, and I think that it, it's really important when things are posted that they, that they are wrapped up really carefully and that you sort of, that, that you use an adequate amount of whatever, you know bubble wrap whatever obviously mm-hmm. bubble wrap isn't the best thing but if you know it's it's really important that stuff is wrapped up well because otherwise things can get broken particularly with our um you know the current culture of um very low paid delivery drivers with very tight deadlines you know stuff gets stuff gets broken if it isn't mm-hmm. packaged properly um but then it it just the the second that your thing arrives to you, the packaging is just like it's just n- nobody's priority anymore. And I think that that is what's made that's what has got us to where we are now of packaging just being such a huge issue. And like, um, so a couple of months ago there was reports of like cardboard there was like cardboard shortages um because um because the pandemic has driven so much um shopping online mm. that there wasn't enough cardboard packaging being produced for businesses to get it anymore but at the same time we've got these like ridiculous packaging surpluses where um yeah, a couple of years china stopped taking 
are recycling and so um and so suddenly there's like all of this packaging that has nowhere else to go and it's just like i feel like it's very um representative of the world that we live in at the moment that there's there's this resource that is so badly distributed that there's some places that just have this huge surplus of it and these other places that have a complete drought of it <laughs> and, and all like all that needs to be done is saying come on like we can just reuse this if we don't treat it as a saleable resource if we if we treat it as like something that it benefits everybody if we just put this back into circulation yeah yeah I'm amazing I, t- I totally agree and and that that story about the shortage was that's just mental um it's, oh, it's so frustrating really <laughs> um and, and tell me how is reusing packaging so something that that pack shares is encouraging um better than recycling it and turning it into something else well I think um, fundamentally, it's just less effort. Like um, when, uh, you know, I've, <laughs> I've talked a lot of crap about recycling over the past couple of years, which is, which is not what I intended to do <laughs> because, you know, re- recycling is brilliant. And I think that um, it's, um, it, it, I think where it sort of falls down is that um, some people, sort of have this mindset of well this is being recycled therefore it's not my responsibility anymore but if you actually look at the process of recycling um it's really it uses a lot of water it uses a lot of energy it uses a lot of time and effort like taking um you you, we sort of have this romantic idea of like you're you know you get a drink you get a bottle of drink and you a bottle of drink is that even a phrase like you know you get a a bottle of coke you drink the coke you recycle the bottle and um you know in a week's time it's another coke bottle on a shelf but yeah that's just not the reality of recycling at all you know it it sort of it goes to these huge um huge places where it goes through a conveyor belt like then things get burnt, things get mm. um, magnetized off, um, like the quality of plastic degrades over time. So some stuff can't be recycled. Like it's so the, the sort of the faults of recycling, I think, are just that um, the public perception of it is that it's a sort of panacea for, well, you know, we recycle and therefore everything is fine. And actually, um, I mean, again, connected to this, when um, China suddenly said we that, that, that they weren't going to take, I'm not sure if they stopped completely or if they said they weren't going to take as much mm. of the UK's um, uh, recycling, and which in itself, I think, was such a, a big shock to people. Like, what? We're sending this to China to recycle? <laughs> like, what, what? I thought that, you know, I thought the council did it. But then, like, the idea of, then suddenly the UK government found different um, places to send it. And then that was too much for them. And so there were reports of like ships just chucking the UK's recycling in the sea because the, the, um, 
places it was being sent to had said, oh yeah, we can deal with it. We'll take the money and then didn't, couldn't deal with the yeah. capacity of it. Like the, re the, um, the, the reality of recycling is the same as the reality of anything. Like it's not perfect. And where reuse is much better than that is that if you have got some bubble wrap and you know that a business down the road uses bubble wrap, you have you almost have like complete control to take that down and say, hey, like, do you need this? Can you use this to wrap something up and send it out? And then just that like single instance of reusing it is saving so much, so much, so much effort, so much yeah. energy, so much yeah. manpower, so much water, so much. Um, and so I think that's where you get to um like the, the sort of the act of pack sharing you, these sort of really small actions really small i think i like to think of it as sort of small kindnesses of going and like donating something that somebody yeah, else can use yeah it, they have a big impact they have because every time it's given to somebody else it's like it's saving so much effort <laughs> yeah I'm sorry I'm talking really loudly and really fast <laughs> no no that's absolutely wonderful I love the passion that's coming through here it's actually wonderful um and I just want to frame kind of what you've just been talking about I've got some statistics here in 2018 alone 7.4 million tons of containers and packaging was combusted um, and I think that a proportion of that would be down to recycling too. So that kind of just puts into perspective just how much stuff is being like put into landfill and burned and, and, and the energy being used in that process. So it kind of just shows how important little projects Madness. like this are. I know, I know. And, and, and I mean, <laughs> Looking into the future of packaging, do you have any kind of like hopes or fears for it? I, um, my hopes for the future um, are that um, really that the circular economy is going to become much more the norm. I think mm -hmm. um, pack share is in a is in a sort of very specific um, part of it because pack share really inhabits a space where. Um, mail order packaging is a perfect resource to be reused because um, it doesn't, doesn't matter what it looks like. It's you know, it 90, you know, if you're sensible with it, if you send out boxes and bubble wrap, etc., it lasts for so long and you can just reuse it over and over again. Like I would just, I feel like our, our, our larger mission, if you will, is to just like redefine how people think about mail order packaging because it, it, it isn't a single use resource. It's like, it's, it's ridiculous to throw it away. It's mm -hmm. faintly ridiculous to recycle it because it's already exactly what it needs to be. You know? <laughs> um, so I think that my hopes for the future, I mean, you know, my, my, um, my grandiose hopes for the future is that every small business in the UK signs up to PackShare just as like a, <laughs> But, but just as a, a sort of a standard, like, mm. you know, we, the, the vast majority of small businesses at some point will either um, buy in new packaging or pay to have old packaging taken away 
uh, and so pack share can just just reduce that or in you know in an in a wonderful future utopia replace that completely mm. um i think my fears are that are that things like amazon will just drown it out and i think that the like ubiquity of amazon is i think terrifying like i think the um i think businesses that size are just a fundamental threat to the planet that we live on um and the the sort of careless power that they wield is um it, it just it's as well as sort of um making people feel sort of impotent to to do anything about it um mm. it, it also does you know it, it undoubtedly sort of dwarfs the impact that um smaller businesses in individually make to the amount of packaging that's out in the world um i think you know i i think my, my fears are just that we've gone too far that big businesses are too widespread and too big and mm -hmm. care so little that it's too late um but i think that's why that's why we really choose to focus on small businesses and um small business owners i'm finding again and again really are willing to listen and really you know care about their communities and and care you know are small enough that the people that work for them care about the environment and can have an impact on that yeah. um and you know there's hundreds of thousands of small businesses just in the uk and hopefully getting enough of them to work together, which again is exactly what PacShare is trying to do, you know, make small businesses get the benefits of working in a community with each other that large businesses get from having different um, departments using resources in different ways. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully it's not too late. <laughs> Well, fingers crossed. I, I really hope that small businesses like yours and like Green Code and, and, and things can can kind of reshape this, the, the future of waste. So, so yeah, fabulous. Um, and I mean, the way that you've just talked about um, packaging and how people are paying to get their packaging removed but also paying to get new packaging in has made me really recalibrate myself and, 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 and really <laughs> rethink how I use packaging too. So, I mean, even just this small interview is enough to make someone step back and actually re-look re at the world and, and re-look at how things are happening. So that's wonderful. That, that's mm. really nice to hear. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Now, now talking about PackShare, how many businesses have you already got the information for and, and how many are already involved? So we have currently got, um, I think, 169 businesses signed up um, all around the UK. So I think the most northerly is Aberdeen and we've got like a, a disproportionately high percentage in Cornwall mm -hmm. um, because that's where that's where we're based. That's where yeah. I live. Um, yeah, 169. We were planning, we were really aiming at 500 by the end of uh, 
2020 and then the pandemic hit and it suddenly seemed quite irresponsible to be telling people <laughs> to give their way to go to their local businesses yeah, and give them waste packaging yeah well fingers crossed in so, the next few months we can we can get pack share back on the uh back on the map <laughs> yeah i i really hope so <laughs> and and how can people um get involved and find out more about pack share um so the the website is at packshare.org um from there um there are you know we're we're on we're on social medias etc and there's a blog attached to that where we've we've written bits and pieces um but if i'm completely honest the um oh over the last year since the new site launched um we have sort of taken off but off the accelerator a little bit with um with with writing blogs and things but as as it stands right now we're just sort of gearing up for coming out of the pandemic and so so yeah start it all starts with going to pack share if you've got a business um just just register it like i think there's something i've i feel like i've said to businesses over and over is you've got nothing to lose you know <laughs> it's all, all it doing is sticking your details on a different website um where people who are eco-minded are going to be searching and so e even that is potentially connecting you with like-minded people who can then see your business um and yeah like find out what your i think my 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 dream would be that people just found out what their local businesses could use that, that, that they wanted to get rid of and um and and w went and asked them talked to them and that the businesses sort of sign up to pack share and share on their social medias to tell their followers that they're that they're doing this that they're engaging in the circular economy like that and that that was a way that they'd like to interrupt interact with their um customers brilliant so yeah that's packshare.org did you say yeah, .org. Yes, it is. Brilliant. So, yeah, if you're listening, go to packshare.org to find out more and, and to either receive or to give packaging to somebody in your local community. Thank you so much, Rue, for coming on the Zero Waste Code podcast. I've actually absolutely loved this chat. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Um... Thank you for listening to the Zero Waste Code podcast brought to you by Green Code. If you'd like to find out more about us, then head to greencode.net where you'll find all of our social medias and can sign up to our newsletter. See you in the next episode.